Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast will include mature themes and scenes. This actual play uses the Delta Green role-playing game rules by Arc Dream Publishing. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Dunn, and for tonight's game, I will be your hand. You're all cordially invited to a night at the opera. Good evening, everyone. Thank you again for joining us at the Old Ways Podcast. My name is Michael Diamond. For tonight's game, I will be your handler as we are back playing Artifact Zero for the Old Ways Podcast. Uh, I'd like to, at the top of the show, thank you, the listener, and especially you, the Patreon supporters. My cast here, as last time, is filled with our backer crew, and so we greatly appreciate them as well for spending some time with us in rural Montana. And so... I'd like to kick things off with introductions to my right. Hi, I'm Allie, and I play Special Agent Jennifer Taylor, or my alias, Irene Greenstone, and we're off to meet the deputy. Let's hope we don't have to shoot him. Fair enough. Uh, To her right. Uh, I'm Heather. I'm playing Dr. Sandy Bodine. She is a scientist, a chemical engineer with Dow Chemical. Uh, and if anybody wants a cigarette, just let me know. Pick the correct one, of course. Uh, and two, Sandy's right. Hi, I'm Nate. I am playing Ethan Moffat, a deputy with the U.S. Marshal Service, also known as Gordon Mosley, a F- FBI special agent. And it seems like we're heading off to a dig site in Montana in October at night, so I'm glad I bought and brought my hood with the furry lining inside because it's going to get a little bit nipply. Certainly. And the uh, two fully loaded shotguns in the trunk don't hurt either. And the thermite grenades, yes. And I've got my pistol and I've got a rifle. Yeah, those things as well. Everything to keep warm. Yeah, the thermite will help in that regard. Last but most certainly not least. Hi, I'm Jim, and I'm playing Lucas Rosenberg, uh, alias Jonathan Davis, a computer hacker who has absolutely not been caught by the FBI using their equipment to hack into universities. I would probably be wanting a cigarette right about now if I weren't completely shameless. Yes, well, um, I would just say uh, smoking is bad for you. That said, we'll open the curtain tonight on the mostly deserted Montana Highway. So, Agent Moffat, as the wheels continue to turn on the Jeep Cherokee, you are entering Harleton proper, if that is even a thing. This is a one-horse town that likely has had half of that horse leave and go for drinks somewhere else. It is a farm town. It's rural for certain. The brightest light that you're seeing is actually from a nearby Motel 6, which seems to be, at least as far as the remainder of the summer bugs are concerned, the hottest place in town. 
the floodlights around it seem to be buzzing with all sorts of, we'll just say, fall leftovers. There's a fair amount of perhaps remainder snow on the ground. It may have snowed here in the past week or so, given where you're at. Uh, There's a heavy coating of leaves on the ground near the trees, uh, but there is still some brown and orange leaves yet to fall. The air is crisp and definitely colder now. And uh, luckily for you, the Jeep was fully loaded with gas, and so it's had no issues getting here. But uh, the plan was, memory serves correctly, that the agents were planning on meeting the deputy at Big Porcupine Creek because Big Porcupine Creek is sort of where all the action tends to be from what their evidence points to, yes? So the dig site is about half a mile up a shallow slope. So the surrounding area near uh, Porcupine Creek is hilly, which is another checkmark in your favor for having grabbed a 4x4 vehicle, but it's essentially devoid of any human habitation at all, except for the occasional power lines and telephone lines that crisscross these pretty poorly upkept roads. Roughly speaking, you're going up in elevation a few thousand feet. So the GPS marks it off at about 6,400 feet when you finally pull into the site itself. Now, the, the dig site itself is a cordoned off area. It's had fencing put up, you can, you can tell. This probably was done months ago, if not longer, by either Lewiston or maybe even the University of Montana, Elena, when the site was originally formed. There doesn't seem to be any movement immediately on the site. But when you do pull in nearby, there is a Wheatland County squad car that waits. Its headlights are on because it has dimmed as far as ambient light. And there is a fit, you know, uniformed officer standing outside of it, black on black with blue striped pants. He seems to be drinking coffee, sort of standing out amongst the space. I'll pull the Jeep around and driver's side to driver's side style, put it in park. I'll leave it running. How cold is it? Is it nasty out or is it fine? Probably low 50s at this point, maybe skirting into the upper 40s. It rained this morning, but it doesn't look like there are any new systems coming in just yet. I'll turn the car off then. We don't really need the heat then. And get out. He nods. Evening. Evening. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, it's not a problem. Not a problem. So, uh, more interest on the dig site? Yeah, you mind if we take a quick look around? Oh, I've got no problem. Yeah, I'll introduce myself. Dr. Whitney Donovan, I'm an archaeological chemist. Just here to take some samples, do some analysis. He nods. Yeah, no problem. He walks over to the gate, opens it up. You can tell there's a slight crest to the hill here where the dig site actually sits. And uh, there does seem to be a, we'll say, early 90s Ford Taurus that sits up there. He pulls the chain and the lock off 
boys up there uh, gave me a key just in case we had any visitors. Some is that is that the car belonging to some other security person up here or the local office? Well, I say local. The city points to in the direction of Helena. City FBI has got a couple folks up there. Okay, they're just making sure that you know in case Thorley stops back out. He was armed and dangerous. Yeah, makes sense. I was uh, fishing through my stuff and I figured I'd uh, help you all out if I could. He produces a piece of paper and hands it over to uh, Agent Moffat. This is a copy of the police report. I'll take it. I'll read through it. I'm also going to head towards the back of the Jeep, pop it open, and rummage through my luggage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put stuff in my pockets that I've brought. I mean, I'm obviously not going to change into my body armor and stuff, but just some of the things, some of the bits and bobs that I've packed, I'm going to put them in pockets and then scan through the police report. First thing you notice in the police report is that, well, it's the bottom of it, really. And the reporting officer on the police report is Officer Mark Brown. So this is your work. Uh, So you're the one who took him into custody. Yeah, I picked up the message from dispatch that Wilson was having problems out here. It's all there in the report, but the long and short of it is I came out here and Thorley was a mess. He was shaking like a leaf, and I don't really appreciate anybody armed with a shotgun shaking, you understand. He smirks, kind of kicks open the, the gate a little bit. Did he seem to be comfortable with that shotgun? Was that something that he seemed to have training? He wasn't comfortable with anything. No. I mean, Brown had to talk him down off a ledge to keep him from shooting somebody. Was he particularly skinny? I seem to recall that he just disappeared out of out of the cell, and I'm, we're, we're a little bit interested in that. Mm, Thorley was, uh, I don't know, fairly well kept. He wasn't skinny by any means. Not that he's a um, retired police officer. He sort of pats his stomach. He's that far gone, but uh, not skinny enough to, to uh, slip through my uh, office bars, that's for sure. And there were a couple of uh, other people in the cell with him? Well, cell nearby, yeah. A couple of guys we'd picked up uh, in a fight at one of the local places. We call them regulars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's got those, right? Well, they say every time a police station's built... It spawns a few regulars, how things go. So uh, how well lit is the dig site? Oh, so as you all look up at the dig site, again, the walk up is maybe 10 or 15 feet, but it is a bit on a rise. It looks like there are uh, light fixtures and proper lighting for, for an archaeological site here. They're not turned on right now. It doesn't look like anybody's doing any work. There is a single light near a, a a metal pole that's been put up. It's about 15 feet high near a large tent. And that is on. And uh, you can see that there's a light inside the tent. Is there a generator anywhere nearby? That's what's running the lights or... Yeah, you can hear it. Looks like there's probably a generator on site. And then it also smells like there's one on site. It's probably diesel. I will move up that way then. Uh, If I'm supposed to be an archaeologist, I'm going to go act like one. And go look at the generator. So, Agent Taylor, did you have a question? Yeah, I was going to uh, kind of hang back with the deputy 
and essentially try to get more information like how much he knows what kind of like maybe gossip he has heard as far as maybe how Dr. Thorley disappeared how you know what happened to the people who have also gone missing what his suspicions are about the remains that have been found if he knows about those that sort of thing if you want to give me a persuade role you can Moffat, are you sticking around here? Or are you heading up as well? Sorry, I was reading the reading the police report. Um, I'm going to follow probably whoever's going farthest in. So it sounds like Whitney is, or Sandy's moving in. So I'll, I'll sort of keep pace with her, but I'm reading through the police report while I walk with her. Okay, fair enough. Agent Taylor? Uh, 1,650. Okay. So, yeah... The deputy here is pretty open and honest, right? So he breaks down the report, which is good because obviously you don't have the physical paperwork with you. He tells you the long and short of most of what you already know, which is Dr. Wilson from the University of Pennsylvania team called in some sort of problem. Dispatch told the officer that there was a man wielding a gun on site and that they were worried that he was going to do something terrible with it. The officer responded. It took him about 15 minutes to get up here from where he was. And by the time they had arrived, Dr. Wilson had calmed Dr. Thorley down enough to recover the firearm, which the police took into custody, and then took Dr. Thorley into custody. He does mention to you that Thorley fought him pretty hard to get cuffed. He also tells you that Thorley kept saying he was infected. Hey, Donovan, according to his police report, uh, this Thorley, he thought he was infected. Yeah, I saw that. I was waiting to get out of earshot before I talked to you about it. So he probably got infected on site somehow with something at the dig. Um, and, you know, they, nobody has said anything more about this antenna that they uncovered. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, so I want to go, I want to, see what we see about that. Nobody's mentioned it being moved. None of that. So, I mean, I think that's a couple of things we got to look out for. There was no obvious signs of death on those skeletons. I mean, there's just a lot of really weird things that have happened. So, what is it that is common? What's brought all this together? And if I recall, it said they dug the antenna up. So, somehow this was in the site. So, we got to get, we probably got to go inside find this thing I'm thinking that those FBI agents are probably in that tent unless when we get up here we see them true to form you do see them you see one of them anyway Uh, you see a mid to late 30s man pretty common government haircut not in a suit they're in field wear so they're not in fatigues by any means but you get that same sort of black cargo pants black FBI polo jacket It screams, I'm an FBI agent without actually showing any sort of logos, at least to those of you in the know. You get a wave (laughs) from one of them. Evening. Gentlemen, sorry to say we're not your relief. You you hear a groan. I'm so tired of this fucking tent. I don't know what you did to deserve this, but I hope you get out of it soon. Special Agent Gordon Mosley. I'm Dr. Donovan. Agent Brooks, FBI, he sort of smiles. 
So, uh, yeah, I just need to take a look around down at the site. I need to take some samples. I've done this a thousand times before. You guys, please carry on. I'll be down and back before you know it. Agent Byron in the, the tent there is just having dinner. I'm playing lookout. Can I tell you that nothing happens here? Nothing has happened in two weeks. Seems a little quiet. Well, I mean, we are in the middle of Montana, nowhere. He directs you towards the uh, physical portion of the dig site that you'd be interested in. It's a large rectangular hole. It's uh, 40 by 90 feet, gridded by stakes and twine, which is pretty standard as far as the field goes. It looks like the depth ranges from probably at least 10 to 20 feet from what you can see right here. The agent does say, let me go kick on the lights for you. That'll probably help a ton. Yeah, I was about to ask for that. Thanks so much. I'm going to strap on my GoPro. I'm going to get out the Geiger counter and try to make it work again. You go right ahead. Uh, so while you're attempting your Geiger counter work. Yes, I made it work. Yes. 41 out of 60. Yes. You begin pay, You begin panning for signals. You get a, a light response from the area. Not terribly uncommon for just ambient radiation at least at, at this juncture let me ask mr rosenberg agent rosenberg what are you up to while agent taylor is playing nice with the sheriff uh deputy and then these two are, are humming around up top so lucas is probably heading up top as well he's interested in any odd magnetic phenomena that might be happening so he's gonna have a just like a little compass that you might buy from a gas station or something and is walking around looking at that seeing if it affects in any odd ways occasionally he'll take a quarter out of his pocket and just flick it straight up in the air and watch it land pick it up again and then he'll go back to sort of walking around again if he can get around the edge of any of the actual the excavation points he will look in to see what the shape of things are down there. He's not going to go down on his own, though. And he's not going to touch anything since he read the word infected. He, he's probably at some point going to go over to Sandy and see if she has rubber, you know, the prophylactic gloves or something like that. Or maybe one of the agents does. He's seen the X-Files. He knows how this works. Yeah, I've got I've got gloves. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, Sandy, uh, give me an idea. After you get your initial read at the top or... What to other investigative maneuvers are you going to make? Oh, my idea, I've got a 14, so. So a couple things are a little curious, but nothing so much more than what is down that the lights are now shining on in this hole. There is likely 30, 40 feet down here, a bent metallic object that does not fit the puzzle piece. Whether it's the people, whether it's the place, whether it's whatever other people might think is the interested party, that thing in the ground is the problem. You get that straight away. Just from this vantage point, it's roughly 12 feet by 12 feet maybe 12 by 15 depends on the angle you're looking at it's big it's big enough it looks more or less intact you don't see a ton of breaks on it 
there are some bends in some of the metal. It's definitely mangled in other portions. That's about all you can tell from the top. What color metal is it? Like steel, shiny like aluminum, dull like iron? I'd say it's fairly shiny from this vantage point. There is a fair amount of dust, obviously, on it and dirt and other things. Well, I don't know about you, Doctor, but I reckon we found our antenna. I don't know why they call it an antenna, though. Doesn't that mean receive and transmit? What did, what did they figure? Supposed to. The Geiger counter pick up anything on it? It's a little far off at this point, but there is something... There's a, definitely a stronger signal. When you wave the wand, there's a little bit something more there. I'm going to have my uh, radio signal detector EM plugged in and sort of aiming towards it. Uh, also, if they call it an antenna and it looks like it's potentially been damaged... Does the oddness in its shape sort of correspond to anything that would make it function better as an antenna, like a certain a spiraling or a right angle or things like that? Yeah, so there are, there is a, a there or was, I should say, likely multiple spirals that come out of the top of this thing. Um, it looks like if it was, as you can imagine it, whole and in one piece and, or I should say whole and straight, it would be a fairly powerful modern antenna. Am I detecting any type of signals, uh, any EM spectrum uh, in the area? No, it doesn't seem to be powered up uh, as far as you can tell. You're not getting anything. Obviously, you're going to get hum, EM hum from the lights, from the power right from the generator. You're going to get a little bit of EM off of people. But you're not getting any massive spikes of EM off of it. I'm going to try pinging out radio frequency signals at a few different frequencies and see if I'm getting any sort of echo back on any of those. Yeah, go ahead and make me a... What have you got for physics? I have mathematics, microelectronics. Yeah, I'll take microelectronics. 28 under 40. Fair enough. Down near a portion that is the furthest point away from you as you sort of move around this hole, there is one portion that gives off more of a signal than the rest of it. Does it appear to be coming from something yet to be unearthed? Yes. Okay, is there, does it look like anyone has done anything in that area different from anywhere else? The dig team seems to, and really... Sandy would notice this as well. This has been excavated properly. So the grid lines, the twine, the stuff like that is the first sort of touchstone that you would get that a professional dig team looked at this. The rest of it is how this stuff has been unearthed. So as you go down closer into the hole and dug out area, you can tell that time and care was taken to piece removal here. Nothing seemingly wild went on down here. Everything has been excavated around it in a proper fashion. So like from the bottom of this antenna to the top of it, even though it's not laying completely straight, it's a bit jutted. The amount of stone that's been removed, dirt material has been removed, is the same throughout. I'm going to call out to Sunny uh, Whitney over in 
that corner there. There's something over there. Why don't you do that at it? Uh, maybe don't walk over there just yet. Got activity? Sure. So we'll just take your previous role as an example. There is definitely something that is coming off this antenna. Your Geiger counter is having a hard time reading what it is, though. All right. I'll get close enough for the Geiger counter to begin to register, get within its range, and see if I can pick up anything. You're getting like a, almost like a bounce back signal. Like, yes, it reads that there are rads in in the area, but there's an echo of something else that comes back. And what kind of radio equipment are you using, uh, Agent Davis? So uh, what I have is I basically have a little bit of ham radio stuff wedged into the side of this uh, little computer. And I have a whole bunch of little antennas and so on uh, floating off the side. Uh, I'm I'm kind of looking at a spectrograph, the, the signals in the area. Because I've got two tactical radios, but that's essentially the same thing you have. It wouldn't really tell us anything more, would it? Mm, probably not. Probably not? Okay. Well, if you're looking at a spectrograph, then I'll turn on the two tactical radios. I'll toss one to uh, Agent Mosley and uh, tur- turn them both on and say, we'll see if it picks up any audio, audio sound. I catch it. And I'm I'm staying close to Agent Donovan, but I'm focused more on external threats as she's moving her way down this dig site and just keeping an eye out on things that might be around us as well. Based on my reading of the spectrograph, I'll try and uh, indicate likely frequencies where there seems to be more um, interference or more pingback on the signal happening to try and help narrow down anything that might be there that the radios would pick up. Why don't you all give just so alertness, that's fine. Me also? Yeah, well, yeah, because Agent Moffat's at the top are mostly the, the, the top to watch sort of on Overwatch, and so you might hear something that comes through his radio. 89 over 20. 91 over 60. Yeah, I didn't I didn't make it. I rolled a 66, in fact, so that's doubles and it's a fail, so. But it's not a bad fail. Come on, Agent Greenstone. <laughs> uh, 46 under 50. You hear a little talk back through Moffat's radio that sounds a little strange. Like you hear something from his radio that sounds strange. Like a crackle and an echo and something else. He doesn't seem to react to it though. Okay, so when I hear that I'm going to go up towards the ridge, essentially like take it from him. Is there is there like a way to fine tune it to see if I can get like a more clear signal? You can turn it to different channels. Tactical radio, so really it's gonna it's meant to operate on a specific number of channels. And that's basically what it's meant to do. It's it's a secure line of talking between parties that are on that space. Okay. So I'd like to flip through channels and maybe listen at at each one for a short amount of time to see if there's other channels that might be clearer. There's going to be an analog tuner in there somewhere, so if need be, I can always pop the back off and fiddle with it to try and tune it in from the inside out, as it were. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. So are, are you going to assist her with that? Yeah, I can I can do that. 
Like she looks at the radio a little quizzically. I have microelectronics, which is what I would assume I would use if I'm pulling something apart. Let's see. 52 over 40. No. Okay. So you pull apart the radio and then you try to get it to do something and then you realize, shit, I'm going to put this back together now. Yeah, pop the back off and it's not familiar. It's not what I was expecting in there. So I try touching a couple of contacts. That's not what's doing it. But you definitely heard something, Agent Taylor. All right. So I was going to essentially go to one of our FBI guys and see if I can borrow one of their radios. Switch it on to some of the frequencies to see if I can't replicate this particular experiment. The uh, agent that you saw your other fellow Delta Green folks talking to steps over. Everything okay? Yeah, I heard something weird coming from the radios we're using. Do you mind if I borrow yours to see if I can't try to find out what it was or get a clearer signal? Sure. He sort of hands you the radio. And with that, I'm going to go back to the top of the ridge. Maybe the altitude will help clear up the signal a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. You turn the radio on. You're going to match the frequency with the tactical radio that you were using before? Yeah. Okay. But you have the radio on and you're prepared. What I would like, though, asks you're at the top of the hill, the, the highest portion. I would like you to give me an alertness roll. Uh, 33 under 50. From your position on the top of the hill, you see a Wheatland County police cruiser driving very slowly away from the site. The deputy's leaving? It seems so. Huh. You look a little quizzically in, in that direction, and then you watch the car list past the stop sign at the bottom of the hill. It tumbles right over the edge of the road and into the ditch. Can you change in the EM from that corner of the thing right about this time? Nope, nothing specifically. No change in your frequencies at the moment. From the top of the ridge, I'm going to shout to my FBI agents in the tent what happened and go down and check on him. Okay, you hear all of you hear Agent Taylor say, what happened? We didn't hear anything. We didn't see anything. Nope. That's the response. Nothing. It's all clear here. No, the deputy's car went over into the ditch all of a sudden. And I'm going to go back to the guy who I got the radio from to ask him to go down and check on him because there's there's no reason that essentially the car should have made it down into the ditch. Oh, yeah, I'm worried. I'll scramble up and head that direction, too. The FBI agent you took the radio from heads down the hill. This is going to it's going to take a couple minutes for them to get down there. Oh, I have an officer in, in distress, so that would be my priority right now. Sandy, in the hole... Are you continuing to investigate what's here? I'm going to continue to investigate. On your weirdo meter, this is like a 7 out of 10, probably. None of this in general makes any sense. Just looking at the clearly aluminum structure that's here, the piece is definitely modern. There are 
some things on it that look a little irregular. You've seen some antennas in your time, but this is definitely different. You can tell here, too, that there are rivets on the side of this that have been broken free. They sort of snapped off in one end, and so some of the um, plating that covers whatever's inside the antenna itself isn't hanging open, but it's definitely ripped. It's The seams have been tampered or just not intact anymore. So strange that it was buried. I mean, why would you even bury an antenna? What on earth would you do that for? Are any of these pieces of this antenna loose that I, I, I want to analyze the metal at some point? So if you're looking around in, in the space here, there are bits of metal that are here. Put a few of those in my pocket. I'm going to analyze those later. Okay. Analyzing the piece itself or the, the structure, you can tell that near the top of the base of the antenna, there's a small box that sort of leads into the rest of the antenna itself that is slightly crushed. I've got a multi-tool. I'm going to get that out and I'm going to see if I can unscrew the lid off that box or get that box off. I want to look at the insides of this. I want to look at the wiring. I want to see how it's put together. Lucas sees you doing that and we'll make a beeline over there as well. Though he's going to try to stay not directly facing any hole that you open in it. Just on the, to be on the safe side. So opening some things up with the multi-tool, you can tell that there are electronics inside. Um, and it looks like there are various ways maybe to interface with them. You don't feel any difference or change in heat or cold uh, when you pull this portion open. You're not an electronics technician by any means. That said, to you, Lucas, this is real modern. And it's even got some components you're not familiar with. I mean, we're getting signals off of it. Do you think it's active? One way to find out. I'll take the, yeah, the multi-tool and try and see if there's... I'm getting current from anything in there. Oh, nine. Ooh, fantastic. So you are 100% certain that the antenna is not giving off any active or what you would consider powered signal. It is possible that there are trace leftover signals. You don't know how that could be projected out of the antenna, but it doesn't look like the antenna is powered up anymore. Does it look like there is... Has anything in here been tampered with? Cover was slightly loose. Does it look as though someone came in and prodded at it before I did? It looks like it may have been looked at. So that's evident enough that the two of you would understand. The casement that had the rivets loose, it would be easy enough to sort of put it in proper position, make it appear as if it was still sealed safe without too much of a close look. It's possible someone messed with it, um, but it doesn't look like it was, you know, some idiot beat it with a hammer until it opened either. Uh, so not everything in there looks familiar to me. Is there anything that does look familiar? Oh, yeah, tons of it. Any components that I would I would guess that I know kind of how they worked and I can potentially poke around and see if there's something unusual about it. It's likely that if you spent a little time here, you could create 
a realistic and usable moving sort of circuitry pattern of what's here. Obviously, some of the circuitry here just visually looks like it's damaged, probably because this portion of the box that you're in has been a bit crushed, like by external forces, which could be literally anything here, rocks, dirt. It doesn't look like there are uh, blows like from a dead blow hammer. It doesn't look like somebody decided to beat the thing up. I'm going to have you make me a sanity roll, though. That's what we were all waiting for. Because sometimes, just sometimes, you see things and they don't make any sense. 43 under 65. It's definitely unnerving, the position that your brain comes to, the final thought train that you begin to sort of hammer home on when you look at this stuff. The external damage to this box was done by heavy rock. The problem with that is, is that a lot of the big rocks that you see around you meant that, well, it had to be excavated. And so the damage would have had to have been done over time. The componentry inside this box is modern, some in some ways revolutionary. Just seeing it. I mean, it would be like, as an example, a crude example, you're fairly familiar with stereopoids. It would be like seeing a very modern USB-C port next to it and seeing the circuitry that comes off of it. And you'd say to yourself, wait a minute, those don't fit. And so that's sort of the arresting thought you're now coming to so deeply seated in electronics that you are. I'll pan really quickly to the police car. Agent Moffat, you and the other FBI agent arrive at the scene of this now crashed Wheatland County police car. And there is no one in the driver's seat. I'm calling out for Deputy Mark Tyler Brown and looking for any hint of him. Mm, Nothing. No deputy, no sign of struggle, no broken glass. Agent, you didn't see the deputy walk by? No, I was I, I, I was talking with, with one, of, one of your people. I, I didn't see them walk by. I heard the car door shut, but that's about it. Deputy Brown? I assume there's a radio. Yeah, there's a radio inside the car. I'm going to grab the radio and identify myself. Special Agent Gordon Mosley, I'm at uh, Porcupine Creek Dig Site. I am on Deputy Mark Tyler Brown's roller radio and deputy is nowhere to be found. The car has crashed. Does does he wear a uh, personal radio? Can you call him? You hear dispatch come back. Yeah, we'll call him immediately. You sure he's not taking a piss or something? We're going to backtrack. His car rolled down the hill and into a ditch. We were worried about him, but we're going to backtrack the car and see if we can locate him. But there's some damage here, so... Hopefully, uh, hopefully nothing suspicious. And four. Hang up the radio. Agent, uh, you heard about these disappearing people in this mine? Is that a story? Yeah, I heard about it. I heard about it. We haven't seen any of them, obviously. We've been APBs on, on all of them, and we're trying to sort out where they're at. All right, let's walk back the car and call for Deputy Mark Tyler Brown, because he's apparently disappeared in some way. And just start doing that, looking for any sign of struggle or injury. Did he have a stroke, fall out of the car, all that business. All right, go ahead and give me a search roll. Just got a basic 20, but I'm going to roll my dice. 
Ooh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm going to roll a 79 out of 20. You and the uh, other FBI agent from the local office search on the pathway back up. Your radio chimes, your tactical radio, the other one you had, and you hear clear as a bell. You hear messes in 30. Chef says he's got the hot stuff. Don't chicken shit out. And then it cuts off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that? I look, what channel is that on? It's on the same channel you had it on before. The folks in the dig hole hear the same thing all of a sudden. From where? From our radios or? Yep. This is Special Agent Mosley. Please, please identify. We don't recognize the voice? No, not at all. It's completely of everyone that you know has a radio and everyone you've spoken to so far or heard speak at the dig site. Not a voice you recognize. This is like a, this is like somebody straight from New York. It's a, a definitely, definitely East Coast vibe. So when hearing that I'm going to respond, this is Agent Irene Greenstone. Please identify yourself. You don't get any response. Now for Sandy Lucas, go ahead and make me power rolls, power times five rolls, please. Zero three. Fifty-three on an eighty-five. Alright. Understood. Agent Moffa, you're heading back up to the site and continuing your search. I am. I'm also hopping on the radio, probably on our channel, and just updating the team on what's happened here that the deputy has disappeared. His car rolled back without him in it and I've let the local law enforcement know that he is nowhere to be found that happened right under our noses the agent walks you back up to the hole so one of the things Lucas is going to do at this point is he's going to attach uh, he's going to pull out like what looks like a wide ribbon cable there's like 14 different cables on there and it all opens out into little crocodile clips and things at the end. It's going to attach that in and start looking at some of these more modern-looking pieces. He's going to try and make connections into some of those. And uh, one of the bits of software he's got there, he's he's got something that'll let him send signals down certain pins. He's going to be trying certain pairs of things to see if he can detect power lines and pairs of signal lines and sort of work out what he's looking at here. Is it serial parallel or that sort of thing? Okay. That's an electronic rolls for sure. As evidence, another zero three. Sandy is going to move up to that other panel that was probably opened and use her multi-tool, take a look behind it. If it looks like the other thing we just opened, then she's just going to put it back. Tell Lucas that this looks like that and move on. It actually doesn't. So uncovering that panel is a slightly different sized space. And so while he is, while Lucas is working on that, what you find is, I guess the best thing that I can akin it to is, it looks like a large fuse holder. The fuse is in place, but it looks like it's snapped or broken. Ah, interesting. Agent Moffat. The FBI, the local guy who's with you, sort of comes back to the top of the hole and he says, something strange is going on. I can't find Byron. He gets on, he pulls out a cell phone. He starts dialing on the phone and puts it up to his ear. He looks you in the eye and says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to get in touch with the home office and bring more people out here. Something weird is going on. And when he says something weird is going on, he evaporates in front of you. Son of a bitch. And now you're going to make a sanity roll. 47. Let me see what my sanity is. Oh, 50. So it's three less. Just made it. Uh, yes. But the question is, is what does it cost you to succeed? Oh, just costs you one. Just one. Yeah, I guess I'll just leave it to you, Nate, to react to someone disappearing directly in front of you. Does everything disappear? Does the phone drop to the ground? No, the, the phone drops to the ground. I think I stare at that for probably a good two, three seconds, and I kick it over with my foot just to see if it's still connected. It is. I'm going to try and disconnect it with my foot, if that's even possible. You try to tap the end button, you crack the screen on the Nokia that he has. Oh, it's still fine then. It's working perfectly. I get back on a tactical. As I'm walking back up towards the dig site uh, where everyone else is. And so this is a literal disappearance. And I just watched our agent. He just dissolved in front of me. I just watched him dissolve right in front of me. Dropped his phone. Yeah, we might want to go get the law rocket or something because this is nonsense and he just dissolved right in front of me. Is anyone hearing this? What I'm saying is he dissolved right in front of me. I just watched him dissolve right in front of me. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, man. Okay, let's all stick together. That would be first things first. We got to stick together. And yeah, I think maybe it is time to go get the law rocket. Yeah. Your device beeps, Lucas. It's beginning to, to download something. Oh, okay. I'm receiving a signal. Okay. I'm going to dump that, feed that out into a file somewhere. I'm going to run it through uh, something like uh, like a sort of basic spectral analysis. It's going to tell me if it looks like an audio uh, signal or if it looks like binary data. Um, it's going to try and determine what type of data might be coming down the wire there and the uh, up and down signals. Um, he's also going to... Having heard this, he's going to take his phone out of his pocket and put it down right out of reach. And he's going to look over at Sandy and go, Phones, put your phone away. So go ahead and give me... I could do computer science if that I've got a program that I've written doing that. Come to think of it? Sure, go ahead. It's actually, this is an opposed role. Then I'm definitely going to do computer science. 33 under 60. Oh, critical success? Yep, absolutely. I have one as well, and staged mine is a little higher. And so what happens when you begin to download the data or get this signal is your device is forced into downloading the signal. It downloads a binary information bit, right? So you know you're not getting audio. And the little bits pretty quickly spit out eight very simple characters M A J E S T I C I'm just going to put that down and uh, I just look up at Sandy and go we're in the X-Files this is awesome and I kind of mouth Majestic 12 that's just an urban legend. I mean, everybody knows that's an urban legend. Nobody believes Majestic 12 actually exists. Nobody believes we exist. 
your one of your old fraternity buddies is having one over on you or something. You can't believe all that stuff. I just kind of raise eyebrows, shrug. Is the signal still coming through? Is anything more? No, there's nothing. There's nothing more coming through at all. So it, it sent though. It sent eight ASCII characters. That's it. And then it terminated the connection by shutting down the signal that was passing through it. Not that you're not still connected. It's just nothing's coming through. Can I recall anything about the Majestic 12, the sort of myth, uh, other than what's from the X-Files? You have a lot of uh, urban legend knowledge. A lot of X-File knowledge is probably as close as you're going to get. You may have done some book reading or potentially even internet searches around them. Obviously, it deals mostly with UFOs and deals with alien life, supposedly. And you know fairly certainly that if you were to approach it with any sort of seriousness in a public venue, it would likely get you laughed at. I mean, I vaguely recall that the X-Files would say something like it was a group of 12 people or something like that. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's... I don't know if they completely made that up for the series or if there's some other thing that it supposedly like Area 51, if it's supposed to be like a code name for some black op or something. Mm, you're not terribly sure at this point. The radios buzz again and you hear uh, an older male voice say, all right, afternoon watch, 1600 hours. The radio cuts out again. What time is it now? Oh, it's probably 7 p.m. by now. You know, it was after that first message that somebody disappeared. I'm shifting away from my telephone and I put my portfolio down on the ground to make sure there's a clear foot of distance between me and it. You stumble over something. Your foot kicks something. It's metallic. It's tiny. Bend down, not touch it, kind of look. What can I what can I see? You have a pocket flashlight or something to illuminate it. And what you illuminate is the badge of a U.S. deputy marshal. Their name on this? Is it just the star badge? Their name on this? No, there's a number. There's no name on it. I'm not going to use the radio. I am going to take a note of the number, head up the hill towards Gordon or Agent Moffat or Agent Taylor, whoever's closest, and say, can we find out what uh, the deputy's badge number was? Sure, we can look. We can look. What about the thermite grenades? I'm done. I'm done investigating this. What about something that... Cover it back up. Maybe if you cover it back up, this stops. They uncovered it. It started. Maybe if you cover it back up, it stops. This is an antenna, right? Is this the thing that's transmitting? This is the thing that's sending these messages. What if it can't? Or could remove the wiring. We haven't seen it send out any sort of radio pulses, so I don't know that it is what's sending these messages to the the radios. Well, we're hearing them on our radio. Something's sending something to the radios. I've heard them two, three times. Something is. We can't, as far as we can tell, it's not that. I'm sure it's involved. Do you think we should go into into the cars left, the cars that are remaining? Uh, Turn on those radios and see if those messages are coming over the car radios too? Right for me. That sounds like a solid plan. And maybe even the deputy's car. It's a distance away. See if it's coming 
see if there's a limit to the area of effect. That sounds terrible. I don't want to hear any more of this. Tell me the no- number that you saw in the badge. I'm going to go look in the tent for that. I don't want to hear any more of these voices. Okay, so I'll, I'll give him the number, but then I also want to ask, when you got to the deputy's car, was the radio unhooked? Would I know? I used the radio. Unhooked. Because you used it, so what, did you unhook it to use it, or did you pick it up off the floor? I don't really remember. You don't really remember. And the reason why you really why you don't remember Agent Moffat is because your brain is still trying to process something that is terrifying and prescient in your mind, and that is the badge number that Lucas gave you is your badge number that no one here knows in real life that you're a deputy marshal and you have a badge with that number on it. So I'll draw my sidearm. I will put it up. I will point it directly at so-called Lucas, so-called Rosenberg, and I'll say, where did you get that badge number from, sir? Because no one has that badge number. I'm just going to kind of point down to where I saw it, and I'll describe the physical shape of the badge and as much as I can about it. Yeah, uh, the badge he described sounds a little bit like yours, except that the one he's also describing is dirty, a little mangled, rust at some of the edges, aged. I'll reach back into my pocket and look at my badge that should be in my wallet. Sure sounds and looks like a whole lot like the one you're holding. And I'm now I'm holding my gun and I'm also holding my badge up and I just show it to Lucas. Very good. Sand rolls for the both of you. Blood is going to drain from my face. 47 under 65. You still lose a point of sanity for that. I got a 12. I'm going to upgrade your sanity loss here because I don't really know that there's a possible way you could get that knowledge and not feel a little bit more effective. So you're going to lose three sanity for me. This is wholly terrifying now knowing what you know. And I would just say to the other two agents that are here, um, one of you has pulled a gun on someone else. First of all, let's let's everybody calm down. This is we because we are starting to replicate what happened to the archaeologists. Okay? The cycle is repeating itself. We can't afford to do that. My gun hand's shaking. All right, Ethan. And yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm going to walk over and like steady his hands and like pull the gun out just real slow. Like, no, don't worry, bud. I got it. And there's slight resistance at first. And then with relief, I release my hand and you take the sidearm. I'm going to go search the FBI tent real quick. See if there's anything of interest, any notes, maybe if they have a law rocket tucked away in there, save us a trip to the storage unit. Searching through the tent there in the, that the FBI has, you find a trove of little trays that have all sorts of tiny little metallic objects Ah. on them from several different things. You find a watch you find a few bands, ring bands. All of these, by the way, are aged and old. You find what look like maybe old shell casings. 
Um, I'll bring out, I'll put several of, I'm assuming they have like the watch on one tray, the rings on one tray, the shell tracings on case on one. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll combine them into one tray, bring them out, sit them down from in front of the group. And I'll say, okay, here's my theory. Not only is that antenna something that transmits sound, I think maybe it transports things in time. That maybe those skeletons that the FBI have are in fact the dig people. And they found them 30 feet underground and they're aged because it transported them back in time. And it transported these items, the reason they look like they're so old, back in time. And the dig contemporaneously found them in our present day, but that antenna thing sent them back. Doctor, it found my badge, then what does that mean? That I'm I'm heading? That I don't know. I don't I don't have that information. We gotta blow it up. Yeah, we might have to. Alternatively, I'm tempted to hook the generator up to it to give it full power just to see what happens because I'm a scientist. I doubt I'll get any support for that idea. And I'm just tossing it out there in case anyone else is as curious as I am. I'm totally curious about this. You're curious? I actually think you should. I think we need the information. I think if we blow this up, I think us blowing this up is what causes it. I think if we damage this thing, feels like everything's coming to a point. It feels like everything's accelerating. If we were to blow this up, we'd do it in what? A couple of hours? That sounds like a count. Feels like everything's counting down to something. If this is something that moves stuff in time, who's to say cause needs to follow effect? So are you saying we should blow it up or we shouldn't? Should not. I vote hook it up to the generator. Me too. So this thing is snatching people out of our existence into the past. Right now it's on low power mode. So your idea is to give it more power to see if it, what, finishes the job faster? It's malfunctioning. We need to fix it. I'm hoping that the generator will overload it and reverse whatever effect that it's had. Whatever kind of effect that means, whether it's time travel or whether it's a spatial distortion or whatever it might be. If it destroys itself rather than from an external source, that seems safer than us blowing it up with grenades or a rocket launcher. Make it short out its own power. I mean, I feel like if we do nothing, we're just going to get sucked into whatever has happened to the deputy, the two agents. We can't leave it as it is because whoever follows us, the same thing's going to happen to them. Well, we certainly can't leave it. I mean, you're talking abstracts. I'm already involved. It's the chicken and ham breakfast. The chicken's interested, but the pig, the pig is involved. I don't like being the pig. Let's do something. If the generator doesn't turn it off, I'm throwing grenades and I'll go back to the, the box and, and, and get the weaponry that'll really finish the job. Well, yeah, and, and I think that's I think that's a fair plan. In fact, I think that's the exact plan. Let's move. Let's move. Okay. Michael, uh, my stuff is still hooked up to uh, the signal. Has anything changed? Has any more come down in the meantime? Not a single bit. 
So if you are planning on hooking this thing up to full power, uh, why don't you, one of you, give me an explanation exactly how you're going to do that. So we have uh, this part that I've already attached some stuff to. Um, there was something around the other side that had come loose, I think you said. Um, I'll take a look at both of those, see what looks like heavier duty electronics, uh, something that might car- carry power. I would assume something this large, there's... There's there's a fuse over here, and I show him the fuse panel. You see a, a large fuse panel, mostly a large fuse, which looks like either it's broken or is non-functional. I'm assuming this is uh, American-style fuse box. Pop the fuse out of there, um, open up the, the module. What Does it say what wattage it is or anything like that? It certainly does not. There's no, there's not even manufacturer writing on it. And yes, it would be definitely in a, an American fuse box rather than a fused spur, which is used in the UK and in the EU. Yeah, I'm going to take the fuse out, screwdriver, pop it open, look at the wiring inside. Has that burnt out? Has it clearly broken due to excessive heat? Yeah, clearly broken. I am going to want to make turn it into a sturdier fuse. If I can find something that looks like it'll carry a heavier current, then I'm going to try and replace the wiring inside of there with something that will carry that little bit more. Yeah, pretty heavy gauge metal. Uh, the jumper cables in the trunk of the deputy's car. Yep, I could I could certainly use those. I'll take those apart. Dr. Donathan, do I have a rash or something here? Like, is this... I am itching like mad, and do you see anything? Uh, no, you don't. Uh-uh. I'm starting to sweat, too. You want a cigarette? It'll calm your nerves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll take a cigarette. Yeah. Nicotine, anything. Well, yeah, there you go. I'll lay. I won't give him magic cigarette, because he may need to come back with the law rocket. I do not need him on Love Boat running around the streets. So I, I suppose then, um, Lucas, if you would give me, I suppose, a... It's got to be some sort of electronics role. I can do mechanical microelectronics. I prefer microelectronics, if I can swing that. It's pretty small. I'm sure you do. Uh, actually, the fuse is probably about as big as a Powerade bottle. Yeah, it's it's not really micro by any means. Um, but uh, I'll give it to you. That's fine. 29 under 40. Well, it, it would have worked as a mechanics. Either way, then, we're safe. At least I'm safe. So you uh, make the switch. You rethread the copper into this and then reseal that portion of you so that way it can work. Go ahead and give me a power roll. A 62 under 65. You fit it back in so that way the circuit supposedly is complete when you take your hands off of it if your hands the palms feel very itchy even though i was wearing those prophylactic gloves yep even though you were wearing the gloves i take those off then it's probably a rash or sweat rash or something i'm allergic to latex so that's probably what it is sure the rest of the setup for the voltage is likely fairly simple to for really anybody to complete which is make sure the generator's at full power that's here and then make sure the light 
the line, the electric line comes all the way down in here and find a spot to land that electricity. I will go just stand by the generator because I'm no good with electronics. I will go over to the generator and find a cable long enough that it will come down and be hopefully hooked up into somewhere. I'm going to get ready to like crocodile clip something onto the outside of the fuse and but I do not want to be stood right next to it when it turns on. I'll be at least sort of 10 feet away at least. So then then I'll ask who's going to turn it on. I thought we were going to hook it up and then throw the switch on the generator to start feeding power in. Yeah, that, I thought that's what we were going to turn the on switch on first and then turn the gener- generator on. Who's going to turn the generator on? I'll turn the generator on. I don't mind doing that. The generator is a decent distance away, right? Oh, it's all the way up the hole. All right. You turn the generator on. It kicks over with a churn of that diesel smoke belches out and on to the ground and then into the air. There is a distinct and immediate hum that begins from the bottom of the hole. And you watch as a sort of inner green light begins to spill out from the electronics of the base. Even that base is somewhat still covered, still yet completely undug. And then the rest of this antenna lights up like a Christmas tree. It starts at the bottom and then lights slowly chain all the way up to the top of the box, that battered box that you'd replace the fuse on. And that begins to spill out with light in the area. I know my relativity. I'm going to take my quarter and flick it up in a little arc, kind of slightly towards the antenna. See if it goes closer to the antenna or further away than I would expect. You take the quarter out and you flip it and you never see the quarter fall. It hangs in the air and spins over and over and over. And for each and every one of you, the space you're in bleeds away. The rock face, the diesel smell, all of the night is replaced by an almost blinding sunlight and hills, trees, open green space. Do we still see the antenna? Nope. But you see each other. Anyone else? Nope. No tent. No fence. No Ford Taurus. No explosives. No hole? No hole. No bemused-looking archaeologists? Mm, negative. Or deputies? Only thing you see in your future is a sand roll. Oh! Uh, double arts! 97. 55. Oh, wow. Under 60? No. 55 over 43. 99. That's so great. So I will leave you all with this, as it is a perfect spot to end. The racking thought you each have bouncing around in your brain is that you've gone someplace that no one has gone before. Or others may have gone, but have never lived to tell the tale, much like none of you will live to tell the tale. As you have been transported far, far back 
in history. And echoing through your brain, Agent Taylor, in perfect, crisp, modern English is, it's okay. You'll get used to it. My name's Dr. Thorley. Let me show you around. And that's where I'll call our Delta Green operation to an end. I'd like to thank each one of our agents for playing a part in it. I hope that you all enjoyed Artifact Zero. We thank you for listening and good night.